Thank you, ladies. Well, we all need prayer. Go ahead and get in your Bible, if you would, to Matthew chapter 20. Matthew chapter 20. While you're turning there, I wanted to read a little note from uh, Loretta No. It says, Our family would like to thank everyone at Bible Baptist for the support and prayers that were given to our family during Roger's illness. He truly loved his church and especially enjoyed the pastoral visits. Again, thank you. And uh, uh, Loretta, you're in our prayers. And uh, thankful for uh, people who've reached out to that family. They're new here. And uh, Roger's in a better place. Should be in your Bible in uh, Matthew chapter 20. And uh, we're working our way on Sunday nights through a, a series. It's a teaching series, like uh, I guess recently I've done quite a lot on Sunday nights. And uh, on uh, how to use, how to follow rightful authority. And I get it that it's not the kind of subject that everybody just sits up and says, wow, I, just, I really want to know about that. But unfortunately, we underestimate this subject. Uh, because this is really one of the most important subjects to understand if we're going to live right and fu- have our homes function right and our marriages function right and the church function right. It's a really, really important uh, subject. Uh, understanding uh, rightful authority, following rightful authority, using uh, rightful authority rightly is one of the ways we have a blessed Life. We laid a foundation for this whole thought weeks and weeks ago now. God is our creator. He makes the rules. But because none of us can see or hear him, he gave, uh, established some authority, his authority in the book that we can see and hear. And in that book, he gave some authority to husbands over their own wives and uh, parents over their own children and pastors over the uh, flock where he uh, placed them. And he has a way that he wants that authority used. He has a way that he wants it followed. And we just uh, finished two weeks talking about the heart of a godly follower, making the task of those who lead us a joy uh, rather than a grief. Last Sunday night, we talked about making respectful suggestions and giving private feedback, but being willing to have it modified. Because if we want to reach a heart, we must speak from our heart. We also talked about dealing carefully and respectfully with our differences because they are going to occur. And there is never a reason to set aside meekness and love and graciousness as uh, followers of Jesus Christ. And we finished making the simple observation that every leader only is able to lead if those who follow let them lead. And a good follower uh, lets their leader lead. Listen, God's leadership is perfect. And there are all kinds of people who refuse to follow perfect leadership. Uh, and so if you're going to be a, a faithful follower, uh, you're going to have to let your leader lead. I like that little uh, saying that uh, says, uh, which way did they go? I must find them. I am their leader. But uh, because God usually instructs followers before he instructs leaders, uh, we started instructing followers like the scriptures do. But God is not a one-way God. And so it should not surprise us that God has instructions for those who lead also. Uh, In fact, if you know anything about the New Testament, you know that God expects more from leaders than He expects from those who follow. He expects more from parents than children, more from husbands than wives, more from ministry leaders than those who work in ministry, more from pastors than those who follow pastoral leadership. Uh, And so tonight we're going to begin talking about God's instruction uh, for leaders, those to whom he has delegated some of his authority. 
It's not that these things are bad to build in your life as a follower, but these are special instructions and especially important for those who would uh, lead. Now, the average person who wants to be a leader, they want to be a leader so they can make more money, have more prestige, and boss more people around. (laughs) But none of those things ought to be the driving force for a godly leader, though we all need some money. Uh, And there is a great need in our society, I think we could all agree, for good leaders, godly leaders. Uh, People lament all the time, wow, I don't have anybody to vote for that I like. We wish there were better leaders for political uh, candidates. We uh, hear people all the time lamenting the leadership of husbands and parents and pastors and and bosses. And uh, it's certainly true that some of this is because we live, as I've mentioned before, in this culture of criticism where we, we just tear everybody down and in the end we have nobody left. But part of this also is because I don't think people always have a good handle on what it takes to be a good and a godly leader. And the thing of it is, is that everybody here, at some time and some point in your life, are going to fill the role of a leader, just like all of us at times fill the role of a follower. Let me ask you a question. What do you think is the most important quality in a good leader? Ability? Education, charisma, experience, wisdom, knowledge. It's not like any of those things don't help all leaders at times, but there's a more important quality for a leader, and it's available to everyone. Go ahead and stand, if you would, in honor of the Word of God. Tell my thought tonight is serving those you lead. Serving those you lead. Matthew chapter 20, beginning in verse 20. We read these words. Matthew 20, 20. Then came to him the mother of Zebedee's children with her sons, worshiping him and desiring a certain thing of them. And he said unto her, What wilt thou? And she saith unto him, Grant that these my two sons may sit, the one on thy right hand and the other on the left in thy kingdom. Jesus answered and said, You know not what ye ask. Are ye able to drink of the cup that I shall drink of and to be baptized with the baptism that I am baptized with? They say unto him, We are able. He saith unto them, Ye shall drink indeed of my cup and be baptized with the baptism that I am baptized with. But to sit on my right hand and on my left is not mine to give. But it shall be given to them for whom it is prepared of my Father. And when the ten heard it, they were moved with indignation against the two brethren. Jesus called them unto him, and he said, You know that the princes of the Gentiles exercise dominion over them, and they that are great exercise authority upon them. But it shall not be so among you. But whosoever will be great among you, let him be your minister. And whosoever will be chief among you, let him be your servant. Even as the Son of Man came not to be ministered unto, but to minister, and to give his life a ransom for many. Thank you, might be seated. Now, in that particular section of the Scripture, we just read Jesus' answer to that great question of what is the most important quality in a good and godly leader. This particular conversation began in verse 20 with the mother of Zebedee's children, the mother of James and John, coming to Jesus and wanting something from Him. Now, it is a natural desire of every parent for their children to be prominent. 
And it is a tough thing for moms to stop interfering in the life of their adult children. But James and John were grown men here. And it seems really like just an unusual scene for this woman to be dragging her grown men to Jesus and wanting something for him in particular in the light of what she's going to ask for. By the way, I believe the healthy desire for a parent is not prominence for our children. I believe the healthiest desire for a parent is to desire the prominence for our children that God designed them to take. By the way, there are a lot of people who end up in the limelight who are destroyed by the limelight. And our goal as a parent should never be that our children make more money than us and have a bigger house than us and rise higher in life than us. That's not a good goal. Our goal as a parent should always be that our children find and fulfill God's plan for their life, whatever that might be. Now this mom, instead of doing the natural thing, she needed to do the supernatural thing and seek God's place for her boys. By the way, God did have a place designed for James and John. We won't turn there, but in Luke chapter 22, verse 30, Jesus said there were places at the table with him in his kingdom. But at the right and left hand of Jesus in his kingdom, that was not the place that God designed for James and John. Now, I'm not sure who will someday sit at the right hand, the left hand of Jesus in his kingdom. If I were guessing, I would say it would be Moses and Elijah as a representative of the law and the prophets. But I don't know, and neither does anybody else. And it doesn't really matter. We'll see someday. Um, Jesus knew what she wanted, but he made her ask, he made her speak. Did you see that in verse 21? He says, what wilt thou? Now, now remember, Jesus knew what was in everybody's mind and heart. He didn't have to make her say this question out loud. She could have just came and he could have just answered the question before she speak. But, you know, there's always something powerful in saying what's in our mind. Have you ever had something running through your mind and then when you say it out loud, you think to yourself, that was dumb. Well... Jesus had her say this out loud, not because he was seeking information, uh, because he always knew the answer. He always asked questions, not for uh, answers, but he asked questions because he wanted someone to recognize something, to see something, and he wanted her to say this out loud, because when you articulate this out loud, and you see this mom there with her two adult children, you think to yourself, well, you know what, I probably shouldn't have done this. And in the end, in verse 23, Jesus, to her Question says, no. Verse 22, are, are you able to drink of the cup that I shall drink of and are the suffering that I'm going to have? Are you able to be baptized with the baptism that I'm baptized with, the baptism of the Spirit? Yes, we are. Verse 23, he says, you shall indeed drink of my cup and be baptized with the baptism that I'm baptized with. But to sit on my right hand and on my left, it's not mine to give. It should be given to them for whom it is prepared. Uh, in effect, Jesus says, no. By the way, have you ever really paused to think that no is an answer to prayer? See, 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 we think when the answer is not yes, God didn't answer. But the fact of the matter is, is sometimes the answer is no. And by the way, anybody who's ever going to be an effective leader is going to have to say no sometimes. In fact, as a parent, one of the most effective things you do as a parent is tell your children no. 
And if you as a parent are somebody who nearly always says yes to them, what you're really doing is you're raising a selfish, self-centered person who someday is going to try to bring that attitude into a marriage and they're going to have all kinds of problems. Because life is not all yeses. Now, this request, as you might imagine, angered the other ten uh, disciples, apostles, when they heard it in verse 24. It says, when they heard it, they were moved with indignation against the two brethren. And, by the way, they are probably mad because they wanted those spots. If you study the life of Jesus and listen to his apostles, they were quite frequently arguing among themselves over who would be the greatest. In fact, all the way up to his last night, they did that. And so when they put their mom up to asking this, all the other guys are mad at them uh, for doing this. And then Jesus uses this situation, as he so often does, as a launching pad for something he wanted to to teach them. And and by the way, most of our most effective teaching as parents is going to come in some situation that brings out the lesson. I mean, you can write a list of 200 things to teach your children and go over one a day, and the chances are that you will do way better teaching them those things as they come up. Go ahead and make your list so if it makes you happy. And, and, and basically, uh, Jesus teaches them that the thrust of leadership is not to exercise authority, though you have to do it at times. Do you see that in verse 25? He says, you know that the princes of the Gentiles exercise dominion over them. And they that are great exercise authority upon them. But that was not his plan for his disciples. That's not the focus, because verse 26, it shall not be so among you. Whosoever will be great among you, let him be your minister. And whosoever will be chief among you, let him be your servant. See, unsaved and ungodly people use their authority to boss people around. Their position is all about their authority. But godly leadership, that's not what it's about. See, Jesus, in light of this, teaches them about what true greatness is and the key foundational stone to all good and godly leadership. Whosoever will be chief among you, let him be your servant. See, we have this idea that being a servant uh, is the path to authority and the path to greatness. Jesus teaches that being a servant and ministering to, the, uh, to others, it actually is greatness. See, great leadership is not about giving orders, though you have to give them at times. It's about serving others. It's not about how many people you boss. It's about how many people you help. If you haven't grasped that people are not supposed to be stepping stones to your next career plan or your next ministry plan, you've missed why you're there. See, the goal and aim of godly leadership is to minister and serve those we lead. The purpose of every husband's authority uh, over his wife ought to be to serve and help your wife and your family. The purpose of every parent's use of their authority ought to be to serve and help your children. The purpose of every ministry leader and pastor's authority ought to be to serve and help those who look to you. Have you ever thought about this? When followers choose to try to meet the need of their leader, 
They end up with their needs met. And when leaders try to meet the needs of those who follow them, they end up with their needs met. And if we try to meet our own needs, we never get them met. In fact, Jesus himself is the ultimate example of this. And he does, brings that up in verse 28. He says, The Son of Man came not to be ministered unto, but to minister, to give his life a ransom for many. He was King of kings and Lord of lords, and yet he ministered to the needs of his subjects. He deserved the worship and adoration of angels, and yet he humbled himself to become a man and a servant. He was a creator and the giver of life, and yet he chose to die for us so that we might have a chance to live. He was perfect and sinless, and yet he chose to walk among sinful men in order to give them a chance to be reached and redeemed. See, God Himself stooped over the dirty feet of the apostles as He washes their feet just hours before He knew they would deny and betray Him. See, His love perfected as He forgives the Roman soldiers while they drive the nails in His hands. He didn't wait for them to ask for forgiveness. He forgave them while they did it. See, the Savior, hungry and weary from His journey and His ministry, feeding the 5,000 people, when he was hungry. See, Jesus didn't do what was easiest and best for him. His pressing motive was to meet the genuine needs of others. By the way, I didn't say meet the perceived needs of others. To meet the genuine needs of others. See, their perceived need, they thought they needed a king. He didn't come to be a king. They really needed a savior. He, he met their genuine need, not their felt needs, because he was the right kind of leader. And this attitude is a complete contrast to our natural arrogance and selfishness and self-centered and demanding attitudes that we often have when we lead and have authority, which brings up a good question, which is the foundation of our lesson tonight, how do I provide Servant leadership like this. By the way, I hope this thought challenges the heart of every husband, every parent, every ministry leader, every pastor here. I hope this thought challenges the heart of everyone who one day hopes to be a leader of some sort in some capacity. I know this thought challenges me as I face the difficulty of trying to keep my own natural inclinations yielded to God's Spirit. How do I provide servant leadership like this? First, please go back in your Bible to John chapter 10. John chapter 10. How do I provide servant leadership like this? Number one. You must decide to care about the people you lead. <laughs> By the way, that's a decision. If you're saved, the God who is loved lives in you. And so every Christian leader has the capacity to genuinely love the people you lead. Notice in John chapter 10, verse 11, what it says. It says, I am the good shepherd. The good shepherd giveth his life for the sheep, but he that is an hireling, and not the shepherd, 
whose own the sheep are not, seeth the wolf coming, and leaveth the sheep, and fleeth. And the wolf catcheth them, and scattereth the sheep. The hireling fleeth, because he is an hireling, and careth not for the sheep. You see, somebody who's leading the sheep, who's just there for the money, just there for the title, just there for the authority, they flee when trouble and danger come. But a leader who's using their authority like God intended, they care about the sheep they lead, and they desire the good of the sheep. There's a story told about a wealthy woman who was interviewing prospective household employees. She asked the first man in his interview, she said, do you know how to serve company? He said, yes, ma'am, both ways. And the wealthy lady was troubled, and she says, what do you mean, serve them both ways? He said, I can serve them so they'll come again or stay away. See, when we lead, we are supposed to serve because we care. And again, every genuinely saved person can care because the God who is loved lives inside us. Listen, anybody whom you and I lead, it doesn't matter whether it's in the church ministry here or in our home or in the workplace, they ought to have the genuine idea that my leader cares about me. I realize no one can care like God cares. I realize no one can care like we feel like somebody should care. But, but, but we ought to have this idea that they genuinely care. Let me ask you, if you're leading in some capacity, do the people who look to you know you'll do your best to be there, and whether they do well or whether they do badly? Do the people who look to you know that you'll be there if you do what they ask and if you ignore and fail. By the way, it's not caring leadership when you just abandon everybody who doesn't do what you say. By the way, I'm thankful that in the parable of the faithful father, the prodigal son knew he could come home and find a dad who would make him welcome. You know what? God needs, uh, we, we need God to give us some parents like that who will stand. By the way, the prodigal son didn't leave because he liked the rules in the home and everything was hunky-dory there. He had a father who stood and said, hey, listen, this is the way it is in this house. The prodigal son says, listen, okay, fine, give me my inheritance and I'm gone. But even though he wasted all that he had been given, even though he did everything that was contrary to the way he had been taught, he knew he could come home and he'd have a dad who was looking for him, watching for him, and had open eyes for him to come back. We need that. Do you, do those who follow you know you care? Can they see it in your choices? Do they hear it from your mouth? See, when our love and care for those who follow us is genuine and godly, then if they don't care for you, it doesn't bother you as much. Because you don't care for them because they care for you. You care for them because they, you care. And them caring for you is just icing on the cake. See, having genuine care and concern for those who look to us is an important way we model being a servant leadership. Go back to John chapter 16. There's a second way we model servant leadership. 
And I realize that every human being, uh, myself included, we all fail miserably to do perfectly at all of these things. I, I'm just saying, as Christian leaders, these are the way we ought to aspire to lead as husbands and aspire to lead as parents and aspire to lead as bosses and aspire to lead in ministry. Here's number two. You must decide to make your decisions based on the best interest of others. I want to let that sink in. Make decisions based on the best interest of others. Notice in John chapter 16, verse 5, it's Jesus last night. He's speaking to uh, what here is, is just the 11 left. He says, but now in verse 5, John 16, 5, but now I go my way to him that sent me, and none of you asketh me whither goest thou, but because I've said these things unto you, sorrow hath filled your heart. Nevertheless, I tell you the truth, it is expedient for you that I go away. For if I go not away, the comfort will not come unto you, but if I depart, I will send him uh, unto you. See, the disciples didn't understand it at the time, and it made them very sad for them to hear that Jesus was leaving them. But why did he do it? He said, it's expedient for you. He didn't do what they wanted, he did what they really needed. By the way, they were adults and they didn't understand. They were spiritually minded adults, probably the most spiritually minded adults on the planet at the time, and they didn't understand. They they didn't understand they would be better off with the Holy Spirit with them at all times instead of having Jesus physically with with them when they were near Jesus. And Jesus did what was best for them. By the way, I'm sure there was a part of him that hated to leave them for a season. Let me ask you, do you as a leader prioritize your life in your own interest or in the best interest of those who look to you? By the way, one of the best reasons to show up for whatever it is you're committed to is other people are counting on you. Well, I I didn't sleep well last night. So I guess since you didn't sleep well, I guess just put whatever it is you were going to do on everybody else. By the way, that's not godly leadership. Do you pick what you allow in your life because of your liberty in your own best interests or your liberty in the best interests of those who look to you? Do you know there's a lot of reasons never to drink a drop of alcohol, have a puff on a cigarette, Use marijuana, whether it's legal or not. And one of those reasons is that if you choose to do it, it might embolden somebody else to do it. See, godly leadership, it's not all about the leader. It's not about what we can get from those we lead. It's rather what we can do for them. See, godly leadership is seeking to do what it can to build those and help those who follow us. Listen, if my wife doesn't rise higher in life because I was her husband and my children don't rise higher in life because I was her dad, I'm a failure. If my life is not a stepping stone to them, first and foremost, and to those of you who know me here, then my life is a failure. It doesn't matter what kind of prominence I have anywhere. It doesn't matter if my wife is not better because I was there, and my children are not better because I was there, and my grandchildren are not better because I'm there. That is what it's about.
fact of the matter is, God didn't delegate any of his authority to anyone for them to use for a self-serving purpose. He gave it to us for the good of others and the glory of God. Have you ever really thought about why there's so many problems in the business world? Uh, unions, companies, employees always only look out for their own interests. Never the interests of everyone. Have you ever thought about why there's so many problems in ministry? Because ministry leaders and pastors are using their positions as stepping stones to something that they define as being bigger and better. Have you ever really thought about a lot of the problems in our marriages are because husbands, they're seeking what they can get from their wife and get from the family budget instead of what they can do in the best interest of their wife and family? Have you really ever thought about a lot of the problems that we have with children have to do with parents who discipline their children in their own interest instead of the interest of the child? Understand that when you and I as leaders make decisions in the best interest of those who look to us, we will give those who follow us one of the most important things that every leader gives to those who follow them, and it's this simple thing, security. Listen, your wife ought to feel secure in your home because of the way you love and lead her. Your children ought to feel secure in your home because of the way you as parents love and lead them. The same is true for ministry leaders here in areas of our church. The same is true for me as a pastor here. One of my jobs is to lead in such a way that when you come to Bible Baptist Church, you feel secure that you're being taught the truth, that you're being cared for, that someone's looking out for what is true and good and right and in the interest of the Lord's work. It makes you feel secure. Followers get security when they know their leaders are faithful to God and them. 1 Corinthians uh, 4 says, uh, more is required in a steward that a man be found faithful. And by the way, everybody can be faithful. It's not like ability. It's not like charisma. It's a choice. Followers get security when they see their leader sincerely seek to be consistent. Uh, by, by the way, I, I think that was one of the m- most beautiful things about knowing Jesus personally. Hebrews 13 says, Jesus Christ is the same yesterday, today, and forever. You know, there's something wonderful. If you ever know people and you just never know who you're going to get that day? Have you ever noticed how you never can feel secure in that relationship? Because you don't know who you're going to get that day. I really believe that when it came to Jesus, you always knew what you were going to get. You always knew he was going to stand firmly and strongly for that which was right. You always knew that in every situation he would be as kind and gracious and loving as was possible to be. You always knew whether it was morning or evening, a long day, a short day, where things had gone bad. You always knew what you were going to get. He was always the same. And one of the greatest things that every parents, every set of parents give their children, every husband gives their wife, every ministry leader gives those who look to them, every boss gives their employee, every pastor gives to those who look at them, is this consistency. You know what to expect. By the way, you probably don't notice it, but I've basically spent about the same amount of time on every message. Say why? If I ever could do anything that was great, It's not going to happen because I spend the same amount of time. (laughs) 
And so when you come every week, it's about the same. It's not like you're going to come week and say, wow, man, he really had a lot of great stuff this week. And then next week, wow, what did he do this week? No, it's always about the same. I, I do it on purpose. It, it's for your security. When our children were at home, on, on my drive home, I, I would spend whatever part of my drive home that I needed talking to the Lord and to myself to try to bring home the right kind of dad and right kind of husband. You know, I don't know what it's like in your house, but our kids were little. It was a big deal when I got home. And I'll tell you what, the last thing my wife needed, who had been basically roped and corralled by three Indians through the day, and three kids who are looking to their dad, the last thing they need is for me to bring a grouchy employee home. Do that for your kids. You give them security. Followers get security when those who lead them choose to be diligent. I'm going to tell you what, you may not like this, but I, don't, I never liked following anybody who was not at least as diligent as I was. Now, I, I get that we all have different capacities for, for work. I, 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 I get that. But I always felt more secure when I felt like whoever it was that was leading me was really working as hard as I was working or harder. Gives them security. By the way, diligence, like consistency and faithfulness, are all our choices I hope you notice that faithfulness to God and our task, consistency that's sincere, and diligence, they can be had by anyone. There's a lot of men here, you would be amazed at how much it would help your marriage and the way your wife responds to your leadership if you just simply added these three things to the way you lead your home. Sadly, wives oftentimes know her husband is just looking out for his own interests when he makes decisions for the family. And she works hard all day long, and he uh, comes and he plops himself down on the couch. God help that kind of male leadership. I mean, you work 40 hours a week, your wife works 45 hours a week, and then you expect her to do all the work when you get home. Why don't you just repent? Parents would amaze at how much it would help your older children and teenagers respond to your leadership by adding these to the way you handle them. Sadly, parents, oftentimes they don't want to be bothered much trying to handle their children. And sometimes they're re trying to relive their own childhood and what they perceive is what they miss through their kids. And what you're doing has nothing to do with the best interests of your children. Pastors and ministry leaders would be amazed at how much it would help their ministry and those who follow them respond to the leadership if they would truly embrace faithfulness, consistency, and diligence. And I don't pretend, I don't hear that I am uh, some picture of perfection of these things. I'm just saying, as a husband and as a pastor and as a parent, these are the things that I strive for in my life to try to help those who are around me because it is really important if you're going to be a godly leader, you must make your decisions on the best interests of others instead of yourself. 
And I think when we do that, we'd be surprised at how much our own needs are met. And then lastly, go back in your Bible to Matthew chapter 16. How can I model servant leadership? Number three, you must stand strong when those who follow you disagree with what's right. Matthew chapter 16, verse 21. By the way, I got a little line above this verse in my Bible because this marks a change in Jesus' ministry doctrinally, because verse 21 starts out, from that time forth began Jesus. And so something is changing in his ministry. From that time forth began Jesus to shew unto his disciples how that he must go unto Jerusalem and suffer many things of the elders and chief priests and scribes and be killed and be raised again the third day. Then Peter took him and began to rebuke him saying, Be it far from thee, Lord, this shall not be unto thee. But he that's Jesus turned, he said unto Peter, Get thee behind me, Satan. Thou art an offense unto me. For thou savorest not the things that be of God, but those that be of men. By the way, that's not a mamby-pamby Jesus. I mean, that's like, wow, I think I'll just shut up and sit down. See, Jesus didn't always do what his disciples wanted. (laughs) He served them in their best interest, though they didn't always see what was really in their best interest. See, we get it when we think about young children not knowing what's in their best interest. We, We get that. But, but we don't understand that there's a reason that God provided leadership in every area of life. Be, be, because there are times, even as adults, when we don't always get what is really in our best interest. You see, Jesus' plan for the ending of his ministry was very different from Peter's plan. Peter wanted him to uh, finish in glory and rule over Israel and over the world. And Jesus' plan was not at that time to be a king, but rather to die for our sins and be a savior. And first and foremost, anyone with authority from God has that authority to do what he wants done, not what we want to do. By the way, Paul didn't go to the churches and just let them do what they wanted to do. I mean, much of the New Testament are letters that he wrote trying to correct things that they wanted to do that he said were wrong. Beliefs, behaviors, attitudes. He stood strong for them for their own good. Listen, a lot of them didn't appreciate it. They questioned his apostleship. They questioned his eloquence. They questioned all sorts of things. But yet, he just did what he was supposed to do because that's what you're supposed to do as a leader. Good leaders give in when they should. And they stand strongly when they should in the best interests of those who lead. They lose the lead. By the way, that's why God placed you in their life. Listen, parents, God placed you in the life of your child sometimes to stand in their path and wave your arms and say, don't go this way. 
Now, I get it that some of them are just going to go around you and do their own thing because they have just as much of a free will as you have and as you had as a teenager. I get it. But it's your job to stand in their path and say, stop. By the way, that's a part of my job here. And as I said, this principle is much easier when it comes to young children, but it's true always. Sometimes ministry leaders and pastors and bosses must give direction to those who look to them that the followers do not understand. Hard as it is to believe, at times husbands must lead their wives in a way their wife doesn't understand, at least at the moment. By the way, brother... If you're afraid to sit down with some wise and godly counselor when some plan of yours for your home and, and your wife wants you to sit down with a godly counselor, you mark it down, there's already something wrong with what you're doing. Or you would not be afraid to have it in the light of day. Let me just say that again. Brother, if you're providing some leadership for your home, that your wife thinks is self-serving or selfish or wrong, and you're afraid to have the two of you go sit down with some wise and godly counselor, there's something wrong with what you're doing. And you ought to ask yourself why you're afraid to have what it is you're doing exposed to the light of day. Unfortunately, sadly, in the church, it is far too uncommon for wives to follow the leadership of her husband. And in so many of our homes, the wife has made the husband fearful to lead through her criticism, her Monday morning quarterbacking, and the emotional punishment she dishes out when her husband doesn't do what she wants him to do. Oh, listen, listen, I, I get it. I mean, everybody, we're here, we're smiling, we're in church. But, but, but your husband does something you don't think is the right leadership in your home, and you just emotionally and physically punish him. There's something wrong with that. Don't misunderstand me. I believe husbands and wives ought to make big decisions together. I believe that. But when the chips are down, follow the leadership of your husband. And if it's consistent with the scriptures, follow the leadership of your husband. If it's contrary to the the scriptures, follow the leadership of God. And if it's neither in nor out of the Scriptures, follow the rightful authority God placed in your life because that's how you follow God. Every leader must decide what is really in the best interest of those you lead and give them that from your heart. And anything less than that is failing to be the kind of servant leader God has called us all to be. By the way, you may not agree with this, But I believe most followers do a pretty good job of following leadership when they know you care, that you look out for them, and you expect more from yourself. And so I ask you tonight, in your role as a leader, do you deeply care about those who you lead? Do you lead in their best interest? Do you stand strongly when it's needed? And none of us will be able to do those things like we should without Christ in our life. And a heart that is humbly yielded to him. 
Listen, there is nothing that is more difficult and more rewarding than being the right kind of leader. I know I speak for many people here who are no longer young. I'm no longer young. There is something special when you see people that you've invested in make something out of themselves in life and for the Lord. I think it was John that said, I have no greater joy than to see my children walk in truth. Godly leadership. If you quietly stand.